Welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. Cyclical Inc. is a community of church starters, discerners, coaches, and leaders who believe in God's love inspiring faithful innovation through the church. On this podcast, we'll have dialogues with practitioners to gain insight, inspiration, and best practices for starting and leading churches in a post-industrial context. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. I'm Karen Rohr. And I'm Nick Warnes. Today's guest for the podcast is Candace Zubernat. Nick, would you mind introducing Candace to our listeners? I would love to. So Candace has been a therapist for 15 years and is the founder of the LGBTQ affirming counseling and coaching practice called the Christian Closet. She and her team meet with people from all over the world for online telehealth sessions as they navigate the intersections of having an LGBTQ plus identity with a Christian faith. Candace is a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute and the, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. She identifies as a lesbian and a Christian. She lives in a small wee mountain town in Southern California with a wife, Crystal, and their seven-year-old boy, girl, twins, Deacon and Dylan. So Nick, we just finished recording our interview with Candace. What's grabbing your attention from the conversation? I like this thought. And this kind of rabbit trail we went down around the risk behind risking and the risk behind not risking. So either way, there's risk. Uh, we just need to be mindful of uh, some sort of prayerful, discerning, I don't know, what'd you call it? You call that a risk benefit an analysis. I love that term, Karen. Um, but understanding that there's risk either way. And what's the risk if you do risk? And what's the risk if you don't risk? How about for you, Karen? I'm thinking about how uh, we talked about the things that prevent risk. And Candace really wisely talked about these voices in your head that come from different ages. So your five-year-old self and your 15-year-old self and your 20-year-old self that all get triggered and anxious about different risks before you um, and how she works with people to kind of soothe those voices. And I'm just, I'm sitting with that and thinking it about all of my internal chorus of voices um, and how to manage those when I think about risk. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode. Here's our conversation with adaptive leader and faithful innovator, Candice Zubernat. Candace, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, your story has been inspiring and intriguing to me on so many levels for so many years. And I'm wondering if you might inform our listeners just of the, the, the narrative of uh, the, the Christian closet, where it came from, how did you start it, and uh, what are you focusing on today? Yeah, so at the Christian closet, uh, my team and I, we are a team of um, LGBTQ therapists and coaches, and we um, meet with other LGBTQ Christians for online counseling and coaching. And when I started it, uh, it was actually part of my dad's idea. He is a business owner and creator himself. Um, and I remember even like as a kid, he was like, 
you know, brought my brother and I out and he's like, Hey, we're going to, uh, let's do a business together. And so we went and, uh, painted numbers on people, their address on the sidewalk, you know? Nice. Um, and so he helped us have this whole spiel of like, Hey, so when uh, there's an emergency and like the, you know, police or the fire truck is coming, how are they going to be able to find your house? And for $5, we're going to make it really easy for the emergency vehicles to find your house. Yes. Fear them into needing their address painted. Yes. Yes. And so even as a kid, you know, those, these ideas of like, Oh, what could we create was a part of, my growing up years. Um, and I had no idea that that was creating something inside of me. Um, because I thought, Oh, I just, I want to be a therapist. And, uh, that was kind of my calling. It went with my personality. I liked it. Um, but then when I went to go do it, I actually did not like it that much. (laughs) And that was pretty devastating. Uh, and so I, had a practice for about five years and did not enjoy it. Um, and that simultaneously also came with uh, the time of my life when I was coming out. So I shut that practice down and really was pretty lost. Um, and then my dad actually said, I think I, th- I have an idea, an online counseling practice. And this was about 10 years ago. Um, so no one had ever thought of that, done that. It was, and and so I thought it was a really dumb idea. Uh, Dad, there's no such thing. And how would I do it? And I don't like being a therapist anyway. So uh, no, thank you. Um, But when I realized, oh, wait a second, like, what do I want to do with my, I want to journey with people in my life who come from a similar place that I came from. And that is the struggle of um, being queer and Christian. And then it just totally made sense to do it online uh, for accessibility reasons, Um, for people internationally, for people who are in rural rural areas who don't have access to um, other queer Christians. And so uh, just decided to try it. It really, um, it felt scary, but mostly exciting. I also, you know, I used to be one of those people who would, (laughs) I would drive around and I would pray and ask God to tell me who might need a ride somewhere. Mm, Nice. Thanks for being vulnerable. (laughs) I survived this. I was not murdered along the way. It's fantastic. Um, I would, could not imagine my children doing something like that (laughs) now, but there's something, there is something in my personality that's just kind of likes this, like, let's just try it. Um, and I am lucky enough that like, there wasn't ever a time where it was like, if this doesn't work, we we're going to have to sell our home right? or something like that. So the financial risk, um, because at the time that I started the Christian closet, my wife, Crystal had a great job. Um, I got to just try it and see. Yeah. Also low capital to start this thing too. Right. So yeah, for those of us that are uh, thinking about starting new things that listen to this podcast. If you can figure out how to start something on, um, I mean, how much money did you need to invest to start the Christian closet? Zero dollars. That's a pretty good number. Just it is a good number. Am I right, if I got one, one client, I was making a hundred percent profit. Yes. 
It's pretty great. I've been listening to your story and trying to map like the different discrete risks that happened. And there were a bunch, which is, that's always interesting to like see those little turning points. But what struck me as one of the first risks was uh, naming to yourself, like I'm in a profession that I don't like. Mm. Um, and that, that with your willingness to take that risk kind of sets you up for all the other things. One of which is pursuing something that you actually do like. Um, can you talk a little bit about that risk? And how you how you got to actually name, hey, this isn't this isn't working for me. I'm doing this and it's it's not for me. That's so you're such a insightful person. Um yeah, it was I was just trying to survive, really. I think um I I move towards the things naturally that I think are brave. I think it's part of um, why I'm grateful that I'm a woman and I'm grateful that I'm gay. These things naturally set me up um, <clears throat> to have these parts of me that are that have gotten strengthened through my life through getting pushback and adversity, right? And so um, there, there really wasn't much more I could do because I was just so sad. Um, I, I couldn't fake it. Uh, and what I have learned is over the years. And so now this helps me move towards that grief is that, you know, when you can move towards and through the grief of something on the other side is going to be a new life. Um, it's a word. Yeah. But you have to go through the center of it and it's freaking hell. Yeah. Very Christological. I love it. <laughs> that was Easter baby. That was fantastic. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Candace, would you consider yourself a natural risk taker? Is this something that comes intuitively to you? Is this hard for you? Is this something that you like look forward to? Or is this something you try to avoid? I would have said no. Um, but as I was preparing for today, I was talking to my wife, Crystal and I was like, if they want to talk about risks and I just don't think that I've taken any. <laughs> and she just looked at me like, are you insane? You have taken so many over the years. I mean, from the very beginning of starting the Christian closet and, um, you know, I think also as a, as someone who's creating something where there's this fear of like, if I make it too, you know, niche, it's, no one's going to come there. Are, there, there surely could not be enough gay people. And for sure there is not enough gay Christian people or queer Christian people like that. This is going to fail. Right. Um, and adding my first uh, clinician to our team, uh, like all of these things along the way. Um, I didn't really think about it as a natural part of me. And yet when I think about what I want to do in the future of the Christian closet, um, I love my work as a therapist and I will always see clients. But if I didn't get to take risks and create, I think I wouldn't like it as much. And this is something that's always so interesting. Uh, working with lots of innovators, the, the intuitive side of uh, their own human is filled with not understanding that they're actually freaks of nature that take these crazy risks that no one else would ever take or you know no one has like the capacity to ideate no one no one has these like massive dreams and then the ability to administrate it but the the innovators themselves 
they just think it's like normal. Mm. Oh yeah, this is what this is what people do. It's not. It's totally not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that so feels great. really good to hear. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah, and I hope for our listeners too that um, if if you feel alone in what you're doing, uh, know that there are other people. There's not very many. Um, but there are the people that will, will, will work with you and will talk with you and, uh, will, um, you know, just practice mutuality with you, all that kind of stuff. So Candace, I love that, um, your risk taking was so intuitive that maybe, uh, it, it took a conversation with your wife to, to, to pull it out. But I'm wondering if you might name like even, so there wasn't like a, a economic risk at the front end of this. I know that there are economic risks now, which maybe we can get mm-hmm. to. Um, but can, can you talk about, um, the, that risk of, you know, taking that first step going from nothing to something, uh, how, how do this thing didn't used to exist and now it exists. And what if no one shows up? What if no one contacts me? What if we don't get any clients? Like, how did you handle that first step and the risks that came with it? Yeah, I, th- I would say the risk of exposure has, has been harder to bear um, and as the years have, come, you know, built and um, the more people know about the Christian closet, that, of course, has gotten bigger. So the, f- the very beginning was like, oh, well, if this fails, literally the only people who are going to know is Crystal and I, <laughs> my wife, and that's going to feel really horrible. But um you know, I'll go to therapy and, and <laughs> work through my, uh, failing failings and, and then we'll be okay. Hire, you hire therapists for the Christian closet to give therapy to you. Yeah. yeah it's synergy, right? Side note, if you're a therapist who, who has not done your own work, get into therapy. Um, it's very important to do your own work. Uh, and so at that point I had been so low in that space of like, I, I, I'm so lost. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So the idea of starting something, even if it was going to fail one, nobody really knew that I was starting this thing, but there were, there was a lot of energy for me in trying something new, finally having like an idea that felt deeply meaningful and grounded inside of myself. Um, but now of course, it, it, the risk feels greater. Um, right before COVID, we had our first conference. That was terrifying. What if no one will show up? Yeah, I said that. Um, we, you know, now we have a team of 11 people and, um, yeah, what if, what if we stop having inquiries and then what, and then all of these people, all of these clinicians and all, everyone who knows about the Christian closet will know that, uh, I failed. Um, so how do you, I mean, yeah, I, so I knew of you before I knew you. Um, I don't know how, but it's something having to do with Instagram algorithms, I'm sure. But I knew your face, I knew your work. Um, and so what you're doing is rather public facing. So how do you, yeah, how do you handle the risk of putting yourself out there of, you know, now, I mean, you're writing a book, uh, which we should talk about. Uh, you, you're host, you're hosting a conference. I'm sure you know there's a microphone. In your there have hand. been some microphones. Yes, as you're talking, <laughs> you're recorded everywhere now for things like podcasts and webinars. Mm-hmm. So how how do you handle the risk of putting yourself more out there publicly? 
Yeah, I, this is probably going to be such a, a therapist answer. Um, but I do a lot of um, caring for my heart. I do a lot of self-soothing. I do, um, I like I said, I do my own work. I, I have a therapist. I have a spiritual director. I have a, a coach. Um, and so I know that these parts of me, in order to keep growing and trying things, I need care. And that there are part, you know, younger parts of me and older parts of me that get anxious and scared. I just got an email the other day of another online counseling organization trying to poach one of my therapists. And they said, we're the first ever online LGBTQ counseling uh, resource. And all of those younger insecure parts, man, they lit up. Uh, <laughs> I got pretty pissed um, and really anxious. I thought, oh my God, I can already tell they have more money than me. I can t like their website is better than mine. And obviously all, you know, they're going to be able to be more successful and, da, 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 da. and I just, I started spinning and, and then I went back to like, wait a second, I've got to care for these parts of me. I've got to calm down and reassure myself and remind myself that there is plenty. There, it, there will be plenty, even if this organization ends up being hugely successful. Um, and so just grounding myself in, in that truth. And I really do believe it is true. You're in a really unique spot, I think, to name what it is that you need and what your process to prepare to take risks is, and also to have insight into how you offer care for others who are preparing to take risk. So as you narrate your own process, can you share a little bit about how you might care for someone who is facing that kind of like chorus of differently aged insecurities within themselves as they prepare to do a brave thing? Mm. Yeah. I mean, a, a big part of it is being just curious about the voices that are in you. Um, what, what are you hearing? And does that voice feel and sound like the age that you are now? Or is there a connection to some other story in your life? Like, oh, wow, that one actually really feels like the 12-year-old um, who didn't make the new baseball team. And you'd played baseball all your life until that point, And then you didn't make the team. And that part of you does not want to get hurt again because that was devastating. And so just kind of starting to see like, what are these different parts of your life and ages that make up you? And all these different parts um, are usually really important, but they, they need certain kinds of care. And so we can name those parts. And as you, as we say like, okay, let's, let's start making your website. Oh, well, what are you hearing? And what are the voices inside of you saying? Does it connect to any of these parts that are inside of you? Um, and what particular kind of care does that part need um, to, to move forward and make that risk? Um, I, I love this stuff, Karen. I mean, if we're gonna be talking at the intersection of adaptive leadership innovation, which is inherently certainly going to include lots of risks. Uh, I would, I would, I think, is it fair to say that technical leadership will involve less risk than adaptive leadership? Karen, that, do you think that's a true statement? 
I think it is true in the felt sense of risk. I mean, my bias is for adaptive leadership always. And so technical leadership, the big risk is that you're going to ultimately you're going to miss the boat because we actually don't know how to be in the future as it is five years from now. So I think that's a bigger risk, but it's one that you don't feel like you're making until you fall off the cliff. Right. But adaptive leadership feels, I think, every day in and day out like a new risk because you're paying attention, you're discerning, you're how to you're learning how to do a new thing. So for me doing this kind of risk, I love that thought. Technical leadership has a huge risk that you're going to end the thing if, if you don't change. Um, but uh, so but with the day to day, minute to minute action of adaptive leadership and just what what Candace is talking about with taking care of oneself to be able to manage and to be able to get through the day when it's filled with such high ratios of, of, of adaptive change and leadership. Uh, this, this feels really important um, to our conversation as we press on the season. For sure. And I love this image of the differently aged voices because they're all the different minutes of your life where you've risked something. Um, and I, I think that kind of speaks to how we adapt learning from all that, that whole chorus in us. That's our whole history. The other thing that happens when we take risks is that we feel anxious. And so when that happens, we're getting these messages that something bad is happening or it's going to happen. And so we need to get out of there, get out of there because you need to survive. Um, and so if you can sort of get used to that feeling and make friends with it, you can let yourself know that actually something um, dangerous is not actually happening. You're getting a message that isn't really correct. Um, you're not actually running through traffic. You're just trying something hard. Uh, and so then you just have to keep reminding yourself of that, um, and, and make friends, make friends with that anxiety. I, I love it. I just think about all the times that I was like, irrationally anxious over something super silly. Like back when I was a pastor, it would be, Oh my gosh, like it's summertime and worship attendance is going to be so low. <laughs> it's just like looking back on it now, it's embarrassing uh, to even remind myself and to say it publicly that was <laughs> over that, that irrational thing. So how do, how do, how do we, how do we save our anxiety for rational fear rather than irrational fear is something that I'm thinking about right now. I just love that vulnerability too, because I'm guessing that if we had a hundred pastors in front of us, it would be a very high percentage of them that would say the exact same thing. Right. And that even when I guest preach somewhere, when I do a conference, that is the number one anxiety. Um, nobody will be there. Mm hmm. That it's one number, human. number two for me is always uh, having the dream that I need to preach and I didn't prepare and I have to stand up on stage and say something and I didn't do the work. Do you remember that one, Karen? Oof, that, I mean, that is terrifying. I've heard of people who have that real story and I like, it makes me want to just have a sermon in a drawer. Every room I've ever <laughs> in has a drawer with a sermon in it, you know? <laughs> Well, some people are just naturally gifted. If they, if someone called on them and said, I need you to preach, they would just be able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, are either of you, it doesn't sound like you're one of those people, Nick. I'm but, definitely not one of those people. No, I'm not either. And honestly, I'm like afraid to even be in their company because sometimes their confidence will extend to you. They'll be like, Karen, get up there. And you're like, no, 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 I don't, I can't, I don't roll like that. <laughs> 
Candace, I'm wondering now about maybe some of the uh, risks that you will be taking on in the next season of the Christian closet and how you're working through managing those risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, building um, is a continual thing that, that we're doing that I'm doing at the Christian closet. And um when I've added the first person, the first clinician, um, I thought, well, gosh, I mean, if there is any therapist out there that would want to join, they, they totally should. Why not? So I met somebody and I was like, yeah, you go, come on my team. This is fantastic. And I didn't think about like, oh, um, maybe I should really interview them and make sure that they're a good therapist and that there's a culture I'm trying to create and all of these kinds of things. Um, and it wasn't that this person was a bad person. They're a fantastic person. But what I quickly learned that actually took me a year, it took me a year to um, ask this person to no longer be a part of the Christian closet um, and that, that timeline has shrunk, um, as far as asking people to, to exit. Um, but that was a really big learning process of, no, I, first of all, people want to be a part and I need to figure out and grow in my ability to, um, know how to, who, who to invite and who to say yes to and who to say no to. And then if I realize it's a no afterwards, if I, I make a, an error in that judgment, like get rid of them quickly. Um, and so as this next, you know, season of growth, I, I would love, I'm working, I want to double, I want to double the size of what we're doing. I mean, um, I just met with someone in the UK last week and meeting with someone from California this week. There, there are so many LGBT people of faith and just LGBT people who have been pushed out by Christianity. And so they're like, I'm not a Christian, uh, but that's okay. Please still come. Like we're not saying that you need to be a Christian. We're saying that like, unfortunately there's uh, these structures within the Christian faith and, that has brought about with it trauma um, for queer people. Uh, And so I'm excited to bring on more clinicians and continue to serve our community. I mean, it feels risky to me to say publicly that that you're going to double the size of your organization. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just said it so seamlessly. (laughs) (laughs) Right through it. Uh, And went on to your empathic care for people, which is lovely. Um, how about, how about the, the risk, like how, why would you want to double, first of all, uh, that puts you in some difficult situations to, to move in that direction. And, you know, like, why, why would you do that to your, your, the hours of your day, your family, like, how are you going to manage all this? Mm. Yeah, I feel nervous. Actually, my best friend had a huge organization that is, um, tragically like shutting down and, and, and going through that. And so sometimes I'm like, I, we should, I should, I should just shut it down and we should move to a farm in the middle of nowhere and just like raise cows or something that no one, you know, like, um, uh, and so I hit those, I hit those bumps of fear, but the reason why I want to double it is because I know that there are so many people out there who need us. Right. 
Um, and we are at these unique intersections. And it really matters that we are experts at these intersections of LGBTQ identity and those who have come from any kind of faith, but mostly Christian faith. Um, if you grew up going to church in any way and you are queer, like we sit at those intersections. And I know that there are people all over the world who need our expertise. A matter of life and death, right? And a matter of life and death. Absolutely. We get emails all the time that are like, you, you and your clinicians literally saved my life. Um, the other reason I want to double is really uh, selfish. It's I, um, I want to double so that I can spend more time doing the other things that I love. Um, that is creating. I want to speak more. I want to write more. Um, I also love that I get to spend time with my family. Uh, and so those parts have to do with me. Uh, and, and that's another reason. That's a really interesting picture of like the risk thing that we're talking about, because one of the risks of not doubling is all the people who would not encounter like a life-saving intervention that they will be able to encounter in part because of the rising profile of a larger organization. Like, I just think it's a really interesting kind of risk benefit analysis. Yeah. Risk benefit. I love the, 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 the inherent risk in not risking is, all, is oftentimes greater than the risk of risking. Does that make sense? I like the risk benefit analysis. Is that a term? Is that a Karen original or is that a real thing? Oh, uh, I guess it would be what a uh, cost benefit analysis or uh, that way, but I like the risk benefit opportunity risk. cost. Maybe. I don't know. I'm oof. Don't have me throwing out economic terms. Like I know stuff. That's <laughs> <You're sleeping wrong laughs> <to be> <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> 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 No, it was, it was really brilliantly said. And I think that's, that helps me have courage um, is remembering the stories that I hear every day, the stories that I've heard every day for the last 10 years, those people, these really brave people that come to us, um, I get to think about them and remember them and say like, I might be really scared to say this thing or go and speak at this conference, but like they deserve to know this. Um, and so you're right, it, it, it totally helps me be brave where I am scared. We have a new book coming out. Uh, would you share with us and our listeners a bit about your book and the timeline on that? Yes. Um, I used to want to write a book so bad and then uh, it didn't happen. And so I really let go of that and I realized, oh, I don't want to write a book at all. And then I had a publisher contact me and say, we want you to write a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, oh no, no, I don't want to do it. Uh, but it was a really, really cool process. I woke up um, every day around 4.45 and, um, and went to, you know, my office and local Starbucks and, and wrote. And so I really enjoyed that, even though it was hard um, to, to wake up. There was something special about the mornings. And um, so the it's we're in the editing process, which is a whole doozy. My gosh, the back and forthness of it all. <laughs> um, I would say this feels probably um, it's a bigger vulnerability, right? Because it's going to be out there forever. Um, in fact, I have a book that I wrote and self-published on Amazon. Uh, it's um, a 90 day devotional for parents nice. uh, as their children come out. Some of it is really brilliant. And some of it I'm like, 
I don't agree with this anymore. And it's out there. Like, do I pull it? What do I do? And I know that feeling. Um, But that's okay. So yeah, we're working on a book title, but essentially it is this idea that churches say all are welcome, right? And I think that most people really believe that most churches really, truly, they're not trying to trick people, but they are. And it is very spiritually abusive and traumatizing to say that when they don't actually mean it in action. So queer folks all over are coming and they're tithing and they're getting involved and, and then they're being asked to step down from leadership positions. They're, they're being blocked from becoming members, these kinds of things. And so when you feel like you are safe and then the rug is pulled out from underneath you, it is really disruptive um, to uh, the insides of a person. And the crappy thing is, is when it happens at church, the God element gets mixed into that. And it's really hard to undo what is God hating you and traumatizing you and rejecting you and what is people in the church. Um, And so the ask of this book is just for churches to be transparent. You don't have to change your theology, but just be transparent about what you mean when you say all are welcome. Um, And uh, I think you're going to hurt a lot less people if you can be transparent about that. I love that. What's the timeline on this book? You know, still working on what that's going to look like, but um, hoping in in early 2022. Yeah. So like January. Very good. And if our listeners would like to get a hold of you, contact you, follow you, where's the best way or what is the best way for them to do that? My Instagram is lesbian therapist. So have fun with that one. Um, or uh, thechristiancloset.com is my website. You can send me a message on there on the contact link. Um, and uh, we have, the Christian Closet also, of course, we have Instagram and Facebook and all that. But my personal Instagram and, and thechristiancloset.com is the two best ways. Okay, Candice. Well, for your wisdom, we're so grateful for all the ways that you influence people as well, that you're literally saving lives. We're really grateful for that. And thanks for sharing your time with us today. Yeah, thank you so much. This is fun. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us. My name is Nick Warnes. And I'm Karen Rohr. We'll see you at the next episode. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Cyclical Podcast, a resource of Cyclical Incorporated. You can join us on mission by going to cyclicalchurches.com and signing up to pray with us daily, Luke 10-2, for God to send out workers into the harvest. This episode was produced by Brianna Kinsman and me, Brendan McClenahan. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Catch you next time.